Exodus 34, beginning in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, and the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again, until he went in to speak with him. We've been in a study of Exodus for going on two years now. And here we are with Moses uh, atop Mount Sinai, having uh, received the law of God um, on stone for the second time because he shattered the first set of tablets in response to Israel's sin in breaking covenant with God with the uh, golden calf sin, making an image of God. Forging it out of the gold they received as booty coming out of Egypt. That's where we find ourselves this morning. Moses has been atop Mount Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, sustained by God himself. He asked to see God's glory in a way he had not yet seen, um, so as to confirm God's promise to continue on with Israel into the promised land. Because of the sin, God said that he would send Moses ahead with the people of Israel into the land of promise, but he would not go with them. That's a frightening thing. He would even send an angel before them to take care of uh, the enemies in Canaan, but he said he would not go. Moses pleaded with God. He petitioned the Lord on a number of occasions. And this time, you know, God relented. We've studied what relent means. God doesn't actually change his mind. But in anthropomorphic terms, in terms that we can understand as finite human beings, it says God relented and said, I will go with you. So Moses then pleads with God, well, then please, Lord, please confirm this to me and show me your glory. So God puts him in the cleft of the rock, guards him with his hand, and he sees the backside of God's glory. And he comes down a changed man, to say the least. It's time for Moses to descend from atop Sinai. He has a new set of tablets in his hand. Notice he came down with two tablets of the testimony. Now, traditionally, it's been taught that one tablet had inscribed on it the first four commandments in how we are to love God. The second tablet, traditionally, it's been taught that it had the last six commandments in how we are to love our neighbor. But it's probably more likely that Moses brought down two complete 
copies of the law. For in the ancient world, it was a common practice for those who went into covenant with one another to each have a copy of the covenant. Now, the idea here, the picture is that God is coming down with his people to dwell with his people by way of the tabernacle. And within the Holy of Holies would be the Ark of the Covenant. It would hold these two tablets. So it's probably more likely that it was two complete copies rather than a copy of the first four and the second copy, the last six commandments. You can believe what you will, but nevertheless... One thing we learned traditionally, and it's probably more likely that it was this. Now, the, the main focus is, is not the tablets. The main focus of this account, of course, is the glory that is shown on Moses' face. He, went, he underwent a very dramatic transformation, to say the least, these 40 days up here with the Lord. And as he comes down, what Israel sees is simply the afterglow reflection of God's glory on the face of Moses. Now, we have witnessed throughout Exodus at specific phases of Israel's redemption, we have seen the manifest glory of God in many ways. First, it was at the burning bush where God reveals himself to Moses. We saw the glory of God made manifest by way of the ten sign judgments upon Egypt. We then manifested... Another aspect of his glory is he revealed it in thunder, in lightning, in fire, in smoke, in a trumpet blast from the top of Mount Sinai as the people were below. And then he revealed it yet again in chapter 34, verse 6, in the pronouncement of his name. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful, loving, long-suffering. And here now, he reveals his glory in the face of his mediator, Moses. In the face of a person. We read here that Moses' face shone. Literally, this reads, his face sent out horns. His face shone. Uh, The Hebrew word is karan, and the root usually refers to horns. Now, the Latin, the old Latin version of the Bible, mistranslated this as Moses grew horns out of his face. If you're familiar with Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses, what does he have on top of his head? Horns. Many paintings during the time of the Middle Ages, included Moses with horns on top of his head. That was a mistranslation. Uh, What this means, it's not the point that he grew horns out of his head. The point is that Moses' face shone, it shot out beams of light. Horns of light. It is interesting that the mediator Israel forged with their own hands, a golden calf, had horns. They wanted the mediator, this golden calf, to bring in the presence of God. The fact of the matter is, it nearly caused God's presence to flee from them forever. So here's Moses, shining face, coming down from 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord atop Mount Sinai. No horns on his head, beloved. 
a bright, shining countenance, a result of his exposure to seeing the mediated presence of Almighty God. And I say mediated presence because no man can see the full manifest presence of God's glory and live. The manifest presence was God's manifesting the presence of his glory by way of his hand, guarding, shielding Moses from getting a full potion, full potent experience for then he'd be dead. Now, as dramatic as this is, he comes down and the people see him. Um, Aaron, his older brother, and the congregation of Israel are scared to death when they see his face and they flee, they run, they scatter. Now, there are a number of connections that, that can be made to the glory reflected off the face of Moses in this account. And I want to make a couple of connections this morning regarding this account. And then I want to see the New Testament connection. I should say the New Testament explanation as per the Apostle Paul's commentary on this event. Okay? So a couple points of connection, and then we'll land there in 2 Corinthians, which is very important. It's key. Now, first, of course, is the glory of God. This is the first connection. This is the glory of Almighty God. God is indeed glorious. Uh, Moses shined because of God, not because of anything in or of himself. This is reflected glory. Now, a number of passages connect God with radiant glory. We read, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 Timothy 3, we read that he alone dwells in unapproachable light. No mortal can see God and live. He's supremely glorious. He's infinitely holy. He's immeasurable. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's purely righteous, and he is just. He is God, the one true Almighty God. Now, God is characterized in many ways, of course. And one of those ways is that he himself is light. He is light. The Nicene Creed confesses Jesus as God of God, light of light, very God of very God. For he and the Father are one. God is light. The Apostle Paul, before he was referred to as Paul, was Saul of Tarsus. And when he was en route to arrest Christians, those of the way, he was met by the resurrected Christ, and he saw the brightness of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ, and he was blinded for three days. And he described it as light brighter than the sun. You imagine that, Acts 9, and then he recounts that. In Acts 22, and I think it's 26. So in revealing to Moses this uh, mediated glory, it made his face shine. And then just this mere reflection struck fear in the congregation of Israel as it would in any sinner. As one commentator put it, what the people saw in the face of Moses was not even the millionth part of God's true glory. Imagine. Just this was frightening. They scatter. 
A fraction of this reflected glory shining through the face of Moses revealed their hearts for what they were. It revealed their own consciences, exposing who and what they are. And that is a people absolutely incapable of keeping in covenant. They've already broken it. They're a helpless people. So they see the light shines, the the light illumines and reveals the heart of men. Indeed, God is holy. Hebrews tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For he is a consuming fire. So Israel, to say the least, was very afraid and very much aware of their unworthiness. So they scatter. This this reveals their utter unholiness as the light shines through the face of Moses. And they shrink back. In John chapter 3, verse 19, as regards our Lord Jesus Christ, we read, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, rather than the light because their works were evil. We're prone to run to the dark. Outside of God revealing his grace to us in Jesus Christ, we're prone to run. Not towards the light, but away from it. To the darkest places we can find. To think we can hide? Really? That's the fool I was. I grew up with this truth. I grew up with sound doctrine. And I ran. He caught me. I didn't catch him. He caught me in his grace. And he shone the light of Jesus Christ. So they run away. Moses calls them back. Okay, He calls them back. And he now gives them the precepts that he received, the precepts of God as regards true worship that he received up there atop Mount Sinai. That's the first connection, beloved. God is holy. He's not to be toyed with. He's holy. Next connection. Notice that this shining occurred without Moses' self-awareness. Look at verse 29. He didn't know. When Moses came down from the mountain, the two tablets, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. No idea. You know, he didn't come down thinking, how can I convince these people that I've been with the Lord? Today, if this would happen, you'd have a thousand people on Facebook. Was in the presence of the Lord today, look at my glow. (laughs) Right? You know that is true, sister. Many modern ministers, if they experienced this, would be doing... Book tours, slinging books. My experience of being in the presence of God for 40 days. Not Moses. He doesn't even know why they're running. He comes down, they're scattering. He doesn't have a clue that he's shining, reflecting the glory of God. You show me a spiritual leader who maneuvers himself to be in position every time the camera is rolling, And I'll show you an immature, arrogant person. Period. You show me someone who communes with God regularly, and I'll show you a humble person. They don't know they shine. You don't have to walk around 
There's a guy I knew years ago. And he'd come into the room and he'd go, I go, hey, brother, how you doing? He goes, oh, just great. And he wouldn't even look at me. He's looking off into the side, just great. Well, what's up? Just spending time with the Lord. Come on. Come on. You don't know it. Moses didn't know it. There's no self sense of his shine. And they're scattering. He's not trying to be oppressive. He's oblivious to the reflected glory of God being shown in his face. His focus and attention was on God. His focus and attention was on the word of God that he'd been receiving for 40 days. He wasn't performing. He wasn't posing. We don't need to pose. No posers in the church. Amen? No posers. We don't need posers. He wasn't performing. He wasn't posing. He was reflecting the radiance of God unaware. It's beautiful. He'd been looking and listening to God and had no idea that he appeared like this. Question. You ever find yourself concerned how you come across to other people, that is, how you appear to other Christians than how you actually are. It's dangerous. We can sometimes be more concerned with appearance than we are with God himself. You know, to, win, you know, to, to perform you know, some Academy Award-winning type of vibe. Wow, they've been with God. It's the wrong focus. You don't even realize it. It's a dangerous trap. Any one of us can fall into. Amen? We'll get snared there whenever we think more about how we appear than how God is and who he is. So Moses reflected God's glory by being with God, focusing God on God. That's how it works to this day. It's the same. We'll inevitably reflect more of God's glory when our focus is on him. Notice in verses 31 to 35, Moses reflects God's glory as God's mediator. So he's with God. He comes down. He gives God's word to God's people. So he represents God before the people, right? And he's already been up representing the people before God. He does a work of mediate. That's what Jesus does for us. He's God who represents God to us as God, and he represents us to God as man. He is the God-man. He's the one and only true mediator. The one and only way to God is through Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. Therefore, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. He said it himself. You got a problem with that? Take it up with him. He said it. So God demonstrates to the people of Israel that he is, Moses that is, his chosen, trustworthy mediator. Because remember, what did they try to do with Moses? They tried to reject his leadership. And they'll try to do it again. They're not over yet. They still have 40 years to go, 38 or so. (laughs) They're not done. So this is God's sign to them, if you will. Listen to him. He's speaking my word. Obey him. So as he comes down, notice this. He comes down, he speaks to the people, they see the radiance, they flee, he calls them back, he speaks, 
and then puts a veil over his face. Okay? He takes the veil off, he goes back in and speaks with God, comes back out, speaks to the people, then puts a veil over his face. Why? Well, what it's not, it is not to protect the people from seeing his shining face. But what it is, is to protect the people that they might not see the fade out of glory shown on his face. That they might not see the glory diminish from his face. It's not the illumination. It's when it diminishes. So Moses' concern was with the people in not seeing the fade. In Numbers 12, Numbers 12, we witness one of the instances that this is no big deal, that is Moses' leadership, when his own brother Aaron and his own sister Miriam, they say this, does God speak only through Moses? More questioning, more doubting about God's appointed leader. So here now, the last connection, the most important connection for us this morning, is the glory of God's gospel and the fate of glory being veiled here. Are you with me? This is a critical point for us to realize, beloved, because this is the very point that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Moses veils not the brilliance of glory being shown from his face, but the fading glory that would take place. Paul tells us that he veils the outcome of that which would fade away. It's fading. The outcome of this glorious, beautiful, precious thing would end. And overall, What's being shown to us here is the fade out of the Old Covenant. Ultimately, that's what's being shown here. The Old Covenant was beautiful, beloved. Amen? It was beautiful. I mean, it was written on stone. It was very ornate. When you look at the tabernacle and everything that made up the tabernacle, all of its furnishings was incredibly rich. You think about the very complex rituals that God ordered them to participate in, all the feasts. And on top of it all, you have a shining mediator. A shining mediator, Moses. So all of that declares the beauty and the holiness of God. The Ten Commandments hanging on the wall shows us the beauty of God's character. We see his prescribed will for his people Israel, the old covenant people Israel. The problem, as beautiful as it is, it has no power to save. It's no power to save whatsoever. So the fading glory of it is veiled in the face of Moses. This is amazing. Paul, he actually refers to this is a ministry of death. Look at it. I I don't have PowerPoint up here for you because I purposefully want you to look at the scriptures this morning because I'm going to jump all over the place and I don't want to confuse anyone. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
If you're new to the Bible, ask someone next to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to what? An end. Jump down to verse 11. For it was being brought to an end and came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory, which we'll get to. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, in context of protecting Israel at this time, one commentator puts it brilliantly like this. What if you told the builders of the Titanic, this this vessel is not going to complete its first voyage? What does that do to motivation? What does that do to craftsmanship within? That this grand and glorious thing that is deemed unsinkable will not last. That's a great picture. As glorious as the old covenant was, it was a temporary setup, beloved. This was a temporary thing. This is an interim means of covenant relationship. The tabernacle, all the instructions we've studied was a provisionary tent for God's presence to be made manifest as Moses would go in and out as God's mediator and later Aaron in the priestly service on behalf of Israel. So unbeknownst to Moses, his face is shining. It's so brilliant, it frightens Israel. Why is that, that it frightened them? Quite simply, because they're finite, they're fallen, and they're fading people. They're fading people who cannot bear such light because of the ruined sin condition. That's one part of it. Nor could they handle it because of the fade which ruins hope. So he veiled it. He veils the glory which was fading, not the brightness of it. Now think about this. Okay, we're going to do a tour. Biblically speaking, a tour of the Bible. Redemptive history. The Bible begins at the starting point of time. The starting point of history. The dawn of all things. The genesis of the universe. With the action taken by God, who, creating all things, he simply spoke. Ex nihilo, out of nothing came everything. Amen? He is light. In the midst of darkness, God who is light said, let light shine out of darkness. And it had to, and it did. So it was bright. Creation was living. It was glorious. It was vibrant. Everything was picture perfect. All things were new. All things are glorious. According to his spoken word. It's beautiful. God's image bearers, the only creatures made in his image, are human beings. He created Adam and Eve in his image. In his image, he created them male and female. They're his earthly representatives. They are his earthly priesthood on earth to multiply. And they violated his command. And then because of sin, humanity took a long detour 
They were supposed to go in the, grow in the full manifestation of God's glory. And they took a detour. They sinned. Moving from God's light to fading out. Moving from life to what? Death. Because of sin. So Adam and Eve began to fade. Adam and Eve were, were dying. And hundreds of years later, they would die. Everything in this fallen world is subject to decay, death. Death and decay. I was watching a thing on the NFL Network. Greatest channel on TV. <laughs> it was an honor to the, to, the, to the great Jim Brown, who's still alive. He's going to be 80 years old. And the greatest football ever to play the game. And he was surrounded by Hall of Fame level athletes who all were running backs as well. Jim Brown was a running back. And I was looking at those great skilled athletes. All their skills have faded away. They can't play today. Their skills fade. The voice of the most talented singer fades. Tony Bennett, who sounded great, still sounds good, but nothing like he did in the 60s. It fades. We all fade. Our eyesight fades our hearing fades your hair color fades unless you got a good bottle of color amen everything fades those of you who are with us in ecclesiastes when we get to chapter 12 you're going to read about all the fading aspects of life your bone strength fades your spine fades we have our grandson with us his his skin is so smooth and so tight he doesn't know it's fading Oblivious. <laughs> He's fading. His skin is going to be like his grandpa's one day. It's fading. We're fading because of the fall. So to fade is to fail. We dwindle. We decline and disappear. Isaiah puts it like this. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades First Peter, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades or the flower falls. Everything fades. Genesis, you remember when we were Genesis in the life of Joseph before we went into Exodus? Genesis, it begins with life. It ends with death, literally with a coffin. Chapter 50, verse 26 ends with a coffin Entombed within it is Joseph's body. It ends with death. When we arrive here in Exodus, as we've pointed out a number of times, we find an oppressed people of God in Egypt under the darkness of bondage, enslaved in a seemingly inescapable tomb of death. But God. But God. According to the sovereign decreed will of God, God told Abraham way back in Genesis 15, before he was even a people, that for 400 years they would suffer affliction in a foreign land. So God turned that apparent tomb into a womb of incubation. We've used that term. So 400 years of incubation for God's people to be called out of darkness and into the what? into the light of God's revelation. The redeeming love and grace of God for his people. Israel, he referred to as my firstborn what? Son. 
I call out to worship me. He brought him out of darkness and into the light. So the light of God's glorious revelation and redeeming them as per or as led by his chosen mediator Moses, this light now shines. Now remember we've said as we've studied the tabernacle and all that the exodus is really kind of a recreation of the fallen world, reestablishing what was lost in Eden. What was lost in Eden? Holy ground. Holy ground where God met with his people before they fell. And that holy ground faded out. That is, God's presence with his people faded out because of sin. It's fading. The tabernacle and all of its particular design is, is a parallel replication of creation itself. We've seen that. The earth, outer courtyard, uh, the, the, the universe as we can see it, the stars and the moons by the holy place, and then heaven itself, the holy of holies. Kind of established recreation of that which has fallen. And once the tabernacle is erected, we read in chapter 40 that it was finished. Just like creation. Right? It's finished. And here, Moses' face represents the book of Exodus as a whole. It shines. The light has come, but it's fading out. And the Lord has made his face to shine upon his people. So his favor is upon them. Moses is reflecting that favor which God has given Israel. His light has shone to them. It's now shown through his face. You know, the glory cloud eventually covers the tabernacle. The glory of God actually will fill that which follows the tabernacle, and that's the temple. The glory cloud of God. But the glory and the Ark of the Covenant itself, what would happen? Eventually it would be forgotten. Eventually it would be forgotten. That glory, it would be later said of Israel, and the Ark of the Covenant itself, it will be said, Ichabod. The glory has departed. The glory has departed. 1 Samuel 4. That's the story of the first covenant. It fades away. So we learned that this old covenant, it was indeed glorious. It was so glorious, you could barely look at it. You could barely gaze upon it. Moses, who spoke the glorious truth of it, is the one who spoke face to face with God. He comes out, his face is shining, he reflects his glory. We see the old covenant is good, it's glorious, it represents the very presence of God. But he veils his face so they don't see it fade away. That's where we're at. The tabernacle itself, it's a tent, amen? It would deteriorate. You think about all of the things that made up the beautiful pieces of furniture in that tabernacle, they'll fade away. All of the dyes used for all of the beautiful colors of the curtains, they will all fade. The old covenant people will fade. The worship place of worship will fade. The tent of meeting will fade away. Therefore, he calls it the covenant of death. Paul does. Covenant of death. Had there not been a new and better covenant, That's all this would be, a covenant of death. 
had not a better mediator come, it'd be a covenant of death. So Exodus, beloved, serves only as a shadow of that which is more glorious. It serves as a shadow of the cross. Amen? You can't just read Exodus and have hope. I told you about a Jewish man I spoke with a couple weeks ago. He has no hope because he hasn't left the old covenant. And it's a ministry of death. Because you can't see the better and greater mediator, Jesus Christ. Because, see, there's a better exodus that came, is there not? Let's look at that. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up atop the mountain. The cloud of glory descends. And what's their response? They're scared to death, right? In Luke 9, verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face, Jesus, was altered. Matthew 17 account tells us that it shone like the sun. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Who was it? Moses and Elijah. And what were they talking about? They appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus, his departure. It's the word exodus. This is the greater exodus. This is the greatest exodus, which we read was a, he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem by way of the what? The cross, Luke 9, 29 and 30. So Jesus' great transfiguration, he went from the flesh to glory before their eyes, revealed the beautiful estate designed for all who are in this greater mediator, Jesus Christ. This awaits you. You should smile. Amen. One smile out of the whole congregation. (laughs) One day, all who are in Christ will endure this glory without fear. You won't be scrambling. You will not be running. You will share in it. And how do we know this? Now, if you believe, do you believe this this morning? Okay, you know why you believe it? Because the veil of unbelief has been lifted from your hearts. And you didn't lift it yourself. Amen? You didn't lift it. He lifted it. So Paul takes the idea of this veil, and he uses it in 2 Corinthians as a metaphor for understanding the relationship of contemporary Jews in his day, and even to this very day, who heard the message of the gospel and how they failed to understand it. A veil lies over their heart. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ Jesus is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You see, the thought of a cross... The thought of a suffering servant, Isaiah 53, the shame of Jesus and his crucifixion, the unimpressiveness of the Apostle Paul, whether it was his stature or whether it was his words, he didn't, apparently, he wasn't very attractive. So you add that together, and the response of the Jews would be, this can't be true. This can't be true because the radiance and shininess of the Old Covenant is what verified it and its mediator. Not a gory, gross cross. 
You see the picture? Paul, the gospel you talk about, it can't be true because it don't shine. Moses shined. The old covenant shined. What, what you're talking about is that which comes in jars of clay. And that, beloved, is the very veil that blinds. Jars of clay. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of who? Jesus Christ. He's the light. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Back up to verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. And notice this. Even if our gospel it is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are what? Perishing. Okay, so I'll say to all ministers who want to try to manipulate unbelievers by entertaining them, don't let the failure of unbelief and fallen people control your methodology of ministry. Preach the word. Because only preaching Christ crucified will lift the veil if God deems it as so for them. See the picture? It's beautiful. Jars of clay. Gospel transformation. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, notice, it's not ourselves. If, if, if you're ever around a preacher who preaches himself, run for the hills. Run. We don't preach ourselves. We preach what? Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine in darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. When a sinner turns to the face of Jesus Christ, God's more glorious gospel, the veil of blindness and unbelief is lifted. It's the only way. It's the only way you can see. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Paul contrasts the old fading covenant with the new, better, more glorious, permanent, unfading glory of the gospel. Unfading glory. That's why I opened the service with unfading glory. It doesn't fade. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, and it did, did it not? Okay, it did. Much more will what is permanent have glory. The gospel. You see, beloved, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ reversed the fading cycle of death. That's why you have hope. You're, you're an unfading people. You're in Christ. You're an unfading people. You will not taste death. Your body will die, but you will not taste death, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This is more glorious, revealed in jars of clay. We're made of dirt, right? 
God made man out of dirt. We're jars of clay. Very fragile. God does this glorious, powerful work in the lives of fallen sinners. Everything's new, right? New covenant. New birth. New wineskins, Jesus talked about. New creation. New heaven. New earth. Behold, Jesus says in Revelation, I make what things new? All things new, baby. All things. Unfading glory. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. You're not in bondage to the law. You're free. And we all with unveiled face. Get that? Unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You have the Spirit. You're growing in glory. Stages of glory. Now at this point, as I said earlier, we don't have bodies that can bear the weight of this glory. The full manifest glory of Almighty God. So now, the surpassing glory, which means the much great, to a much greater degree, this surpassing glory, it surpasses the old covenant glory that we see here shining in the face of Moses. This surpassing glory is made visible in weak, decaying, physical bodies. That's where it's made manifest. That's why it's not a draw for unbelievers who still have veils over their face because they don't see the face of Christ. Do you groan in your body like I do? <laughs> this is how I get up out of a chair. And I sit in my rocking chair, and there's, there's a mirror in our family room. So this is how I see myself. I get up in my chair, and this is how I walk into the kitchen. <laughs> That's how long it takes me. It takes me about 10 steps to get vertical. Back problems broke my back when I was a kid. Look, this, this vessel is weak. This, this body groans, waiting for unfading glory. And you're guaranteed it because you have the Spirit. You're sealed with the Spirit. Now, turn as I close to 2 Corinthians 5. For we, you don't want to talk about tents, the old tabernacle tent. That's what the tabernacle was. It was a tent. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. Oh, we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a what? Guarantee. Wow. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. Not by sight. So we grow from initial glory to greater glory as we come into the contact of, of glory himself. 
the source of all glory we come into contact with, who is God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So to close, Moses came down the mountain with the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Moses reflected the light of God's glory. Jesus is the light of the, of the world. Jesus is glory. He doesn't reflect glory or light. He is light. Amen? He is the light. So Moses received glory when he talked to God, but that glory faded. The old covenant faded. Jesus and the new covenant, we move from glory to glory. You know, Paul told the Corinthians that though these are vessels of clay, again, you already possess glory. You have it now. That's a guarantee. So clothed with the Spirit as we are, members of the household of faith, remember the glory cloud on our study of Revelation that surrounds God's throne? You're already part of that. You have a place secured for you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Already done because of the new covenant. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. It's his guarantee. So the veil's been lifted for you, and this is why you believe. You don't have anything to do with it. He in his grace has lifted the veil. And if this sounds foreign to you this morning, you say this is nonsense, the veil still covers your heart. So what I say to you, and I pray for you, is that God will break through your stony heart. If you believe there are many ways to God, you're dead wrong. That's a grave error. It will lead you to hell. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he said no one comes to the Father except through me because only one mediator stands between God and man. It's the man, the God-man Christ Jesus. He is the light. He is the glory. He's your only hope because he was crucified on the cross. What was he doing there? He was bearing the unmitigated wrath of God upon sin and sinners. That's what he was doing there. Did the Jews crucify him? Yeah. Did Rome crucify him? Yeah. Did you crucify him? Yeah. Ultimately, when you read Isaiah, who crushed the son? God the Father crushed the son, and he was pleased to do so to to provide you this light, this hope of glory. He's the only way. You come to him through repentance of unbelief and faith and trust in the only one who can get you there, Jesus. Amen?